know, what you'll find is, you know, there's lots of manual work and, you know, lots of things that haven't really changed since the late 90s. How have you enabled your infrastructure fundamental change over the last five years and partnering with the business is, is critical. The tools exist on the cloud, change at the rate necessary, secure by design. Network Disrupted. Hey, it's Andrew and welcome to Network Disrupted, where IT leaders talk about navigating the disruption in our industry. In this episode, we unpack the right and wrong way to approach and measure an automation strategy. My guest today isn't an in-house IT leader, but like me, he works with a lot of people in that role. Yua Hokla is the founder and CEO of Fusion Layer, a Finnish-based DDI company that helps service providers automate their networks. He has a bird's-eye view on how a lot of large organizations are moving their network operations forward, so I thought you'd enjoy what he has to say. Let me know what you thought of this episode. You can tweet me at Network Disrupted. Leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or email me at andrew at networkdisrupted.com. Let's get into it. Yuha, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. From your perspective, the mm-hmm. addition of software, the drive to um, networking via software and using software more and more as the control plane, mm-hmm. from your perspective, what is the driver of that? You know, if you consider networking in general, uh, not that many things have changed, really. I mean, what, you know, engineers still do today is, you know, they use the command line. They configure everything manually, you know, that there's nothing much, uh, not much automation that they would be using. And, and personally, you know, as far as uh, the software-driven nature of networking is concerned, uh, you know, I, I think there's a, you know, whole number of different use cases, uh, different business cases for autonomous networking like you know 20 years ago if someone had had asked me you know how mobility looks today you know in 20 years after you have automated it you know i couldn't have ventured to guess that you know got even close and you know in the same way uh you know given the manual processes in networking you know i think there's a big change happening and that comes from the ability to dynamically instantiate networks and you know i think that that'll introduce a you know, whole set of new business cases and use cases uh, that, you know, today I couldn't even dream of. It's abstract, but but true. And, and it, it's just a lot of it's just about the acceleration of change, too. I mean, uh-huh. it, you know, we need to change these things way faster than uh, would be possible in if we weren't driving it via software and the way we used to manage the networks, assuming some static nature of the network. And then we can use things yeah. like, you know, a, a set of firewall rules to control what can get in and out. Um, mm-hmm. The networks aren't static anymore either. And and mm-hmm. so th- there there must be a, a more dynamic um, approach yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. that as well. That yeah, right? yeah, that's right. Because, you know, I, I don't think, well, actually, if you think about, uh, you know, IPAM or DHCP or DNS, uh, you know, it has been mostly about subnets. You know, you have subnets, you manage them, you have maybe, you know, some DHCP ranges you, you know, integrate with those subnets, you manage the IP, you manage the, you know, the names, you know, that's essentially DDI. But, you know, what we've actually seen is, you know, there are other facets to networking, uh, you know, that are still being managed manually. You know, if you think about, let's say, a larger enterprise or a service provider, you know, what, what you have is multiple different data centers and each one of those data centers, you know, they have VLAN spaces. 
that can be overlapping. Also, you know, if you look at, let's say, MPLS, for example, so, you know, if you're a large enterprise or if you're a service provider operating those MPLS networks, then again, you know, you have the VRFs. Uh, those VRFs have, uh, you know, connections to logical networks, but, you know, most of that continues to be managed again in spreadsheets. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, uh, I forget what the saying is, and I'm sure I'm somewhere in the ballpark, but, you know, 80 to 90% of business is still managed on spreadsheets and 80 to 90% of spreadsheets have errors in it. And, uh, and mm-hmm. so it's, it's a, it's a scary thing at the end of the day. And it's also, um, when we talk about automation, um, I, I think that a lot of approaches to automation are simply let's use APIs and, and mm-hmm. th- th- there's a there's a core problem with that, and I think the spreadsheet is is a good example of that. Which, it, from my perspective, is that um, it's it, it, that that's more of the view of okay, we were manually entering this. Now let's use an API because mm-hmm. we can't do it fast enough, or we want to make sure we don't yeah. have errors. But I think the right way to look at it is, you know, the person who has the spreadsheet or the team of people who are doing it manually mm-hmm. today, spreadsheet or otherwise. Oftentimes, they're getting a request, and then they're translating that request into some action they do on the spreadsheet. And that translation is occurring mm. based on their knowledge, their history, the stuff they know. Oh, yeah. oh, that that request is coming from that division, so we're yeah. going to pull a subnet from over here. Ah, that's probably in that data center. We'll pull, and that that knowledge that that person has in order mm-hmm. to do something manually needs mm-hmm. to be needs to be encoded and not. Not, you know, the complexity, because a lot of times that I, I give some couple of pretty simple use cases, but a lot of time the the translation from business request to actually doing something requires a good deal of knowledge. And mm-hmm. you can't you can't teach the requester that you don't want to. They shouldn't know. They should be able to yeah. give a lightweight request and get an answer. And therefore, automation doesn't just mean calling an API, it means encoding that business logic that might be very different based on the business into that API. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, one of the key goals of knowledge management processes is to actually make implicit information explicit, you know? And, you know, some of the, the best IPAM tools I've seen, they are network engineers, they are working IPAM tools, you know, they have everything in their head. But the problem is, you know, if, if I'm going to automate something, it doesn't work anymore. It used to work because, you know, these guys would be, you know, they are common line wizards. They would just log in, they would do the magic, you know, things happen. You know, that's the way we've been working for the last 30 years. But, you know, with the current change, uh, you know, I don't think that'll work anymore. Totally agreed. And 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 you touched on a different thing. So there, there's two sides to it. One is the uh, what knowledge do I need to be the command line wizard or, or you know, to be able to do this manually? But mm-hmm. in the process of making the change manually, for sure, mm-hmm. that network engineer is also going to test to make sure that the change is working. And yeah. if you simply call an API that's going to make the change, but you have mm-hmm. no mechanism to ensure that the change was successful, then mm-hmm. you, you'll look at, you'll measure automation the wrong way. And, and a lot of this comes mm-hmm. down to metrics. And when I talk to customers who are, they're thinking of of automation as a the proper metrics is our like man hours saved or you know we've mm-hmm. we've automated three hundred thousand man hours of stuff and that now takes an yeah. hour or something, but they're not looking at the success of the automation. You know it, it's yeah. it's real easy to call an API, but did it achieve what we were intending it to achieve? 
Um, did it have knock-on effects? Did it, was it done the right way? And I, I think, I think that's, that's the piece of this transformation to servitize these sorts of functions that I, I think companies mm-hmm. uh, miss. You know, it's a new paradigm. You know, things will be done differently. And that, of course, means, uh, you know, also the processes, the organizations, you know, there are lots of things besides technology, uh, you know, that needs to change. And, you know, from that point of view, I think one way to look at automation is, you know, if I start automating things, then, you know, clearly I have made an investment. Uh, but I, if I still do have things kind of, let's say, old fashioned processes in place, it could actually be that, uh, you know, the return on my automation, automation investment, uh, won't be that high because, you know, there will be use cases that I just won't be able to implement. And so, you know, it's, it's not just OPEX. It's also, uh, the return on the entire automation investment. And, you know, that can't be that high, uh, you know, in case you still have those old processes in place. If you were to start a brand new company and start building data centers at scale or adopting cloud at scale, then you can do mm. it from day one with automation in mind. But but yeah. no companies are in that position, at least not the customers we work in. They still have data centers that were engineered uh, over the last 20 or 25 years. And you can't, you know, do, do you, is that a solvable problem or not? Or, mm-hmm. you know, do you, where, in other words, where do you concentrate on for these areas? Mm-hmm. Where do you use bridging mm-hmm. solutions versus net new solutions and not create like a technology soup of just mm-hmm. different things purchased over time for different points? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I don't think in general, you know, if you think about enterprises, for example, I mean, you know, there's many of them that still continue to run like Microsoft-based infrastructure. You know, they have Windows servers in place for DNS, for DHCP. Uh, things like that. And, and, you know, to me, you know, it does the job. It's supposed to do quite well, in fact. So, you know, what we, what I often tell customers as well, you know, you don't necessarily have to forklift lift everything. You know, there are elements within your existing infrastructure that are fine for the things they've been designed for. But, you know, at the same time, you know, you look at public clouds or, you know, hybrid multi-cloud or cloud edge or IoT or, you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, those things haven't been really designed for that. And so, you know, I kind of believe more in evolution. Uh, you know, there might be certain layers in your technology stack that you might want to hold on to. But equally, you know, the, as the industry progresses, you kind of need these new tools and solutions in place to bridge the old with the new. Yeah, for sure. I, I was speaking to the to the CTO of cloud of a large financial institution yesterday, and, mm-hmm. and he said something that um, that that I fundamentally agree with. But but it, it's uh, it's important, which is you know they have their five year vision and strategy of where they're going mm-hmm. to go. He's also certain they're never going to get there because technology changes too fast. Uh, business mm-hmm. strategy changes too fast. So certainly part of that strategy and vision is is ensuring they're, they're investing things that they can continue to change as things. But my broader point is he's not looking at what they need just this year and assuming mm-hmm. that, you know, he, he's, they're, 
they've got the North Star and they're trying to drive towards that. And he's looking for pragmatic and practical ways to do that without breaking yeah. what exists today. And, and I, I think that's a, a critical point that that people forget, especially if something has has, you know, pachinkoed into an RFX process where now you're buying something based on a legal document of what it can do today that you can verify mm-hmm. the product as opposed to are we buying the thing that's going to help us over the next three or four years get to a set of requirements that we mm-hmm. might not know right now. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there's also trends like consumerization of IT. So, you know, people are used to, you know, accessing portals. They are used to self-service, but they also are used to, you know, getting what they want almost immediately. And, you know, if you think about most enterprise IT departments, you know, not all of them are able to, you know, deliver on that promise. You know, it might take forever to actually get something from them. And, you know, as a result, what we end up seeing is, you know, things like shadow IT. You know, rather than going to my IT department, I'm, you know, I'll actually go to AWS and, you know, create an account and, you know, get what I need pretty quickly. And so, you know, when we talk about the, you know, the OPEX and, you know, how to, let's say, assess, you know, the roadmap and the goals down the road, you know, one of these things is, is you know, kind of, you also want to have that UX, you know, in enterprise IT as well. I absolutely agree. I mean, it, 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 you know, IT has got to move from a explicit project-based um, method of working uh, where, where where SLAs were written way too long ago in terms of how long any sort of change, you know, takes versus we, we were we were in the middle of a, a go live weekend. This was like four years ago or something. Mm-hmm. And and they realized that the uh, in this specific case, this physical appliance was plugged into the wrong switch. There's two switches in the rack. Somebody just plugged it into mm-hmm. the wrong switch. That data center was managed by some outsource provider and the SLA, wow. the SLA to pull out the patch cable and plug it into the right switch was was seven mm-hmm. days. And it was seven days yeah. because they had to assess why it was plugged into the wrong one in the first place. Did they have the wrong requirements? Yeah. They have, and now, now they've tested plugging into the first switch. What happens when they plug it in the second switch? Are there going to be problems? So from, from mm-hmm. their perspective, that was a meaningful seven days, but come on. Like, I mean, th- you know, that's, and, and that's on just completely unacceptable. Uh, things need mm-hmm. to change way faster. And certainly as the business is building out more and more technology in mm-hmm. any company, right? I don't care what you're doing. You end up being a technology company. Um, as the business builds more technology, where historically maybe IT would build that technology, you've got to transform mm. from from projects and uh, explicit project based SLAs to mm. to servitize the business and, and yeah, give them mm-hmm. the give them the cloud, give them the shadow IT experience, mm. give them give them that UX. I, I like that you called it a user experience. I think that that's dead on. Give them a similar mm-hmm. user experience where they can get what they need immediately, but govern it. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, it's actually seven days. It's pretty tough. Yeah, I, I, I also look at it a bit like um, like I look at software, quite frankly. Um, mm. You know, like the the uh, the uh, one of the best software books out there. It's I don't know how many years old now is, is Martin Fowler's uh, refactoring. Mm. And and like I think the it's either the introduction or chapter one basically starts with um, if you can't test put this book back on the shelf because you can't change mm-hmm. things if you can't test them. 
And and, mm. and I, I think a lot of I think a lot of this too is is looking. You know, let me give you an example in, in networking. It's if I'm going to change things rapidly, and I'm still relying on a, an SNMP trap. If something isn't, mm-hmm. you know, if something has a a error state, then then mm-hmm. I'm orchestrating a broad workflow, but I'm looking for indicators of failure of the of components underneath that mm-hmm. may or may not affect the success of the workflow. So how mm-hmm. do I get the data? How do I get the telemetry? How do I understand mm-hmm. what's happening to ensure that the higher level automation was successful, even if some switch or DNS server, whatever the case is mm-hmm. complaining, it that's fine. There's an error state there, but there's you know a high availability pair or another DNS server over mm-hmm. there or this other switch is enough workload. How do I know if what I'm automating is actually successful? And I think, I think from my mm-hmm. perspective, it also comes with a strategy around data so that I can measure um, the quality of of what I've deployed, um, and 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 that requires uh, a different a different I, I think a, a very different view on how how I understand health. Mm. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and you, you know it's sometimes. Uh, you know, it's also because and that's kind of the problem if you, you know, start the automation from just one corner is that, you know, then the rest of the environment, you know, isn't really ready, you know, for what it is that you, you know, are going to be doing. And, you know, sometimes like if you look at, you know, SD1, which is like, you know, software defined wide area networking and it's, you know, kind of has been getting some good traction within the enterprise. But, you know, what we've seen sometimes is, of course, with SD1s, you create networks that, you know, kind of span from the data center all the way to the branch sites. And, you know, you have the SD1 controllers that then go and, you know, configure everything and spin up the networks and all that. But, you know, of course, uh, those orchestrators, they need a back end, you know, for the configurations for suitable, you know, network segments and, you know, all, all that stuff. And so what we've actually seen some organizations do, you know, even even like, you know, Cisco sometimes, what they actually do is they create parsers that actually go and read. I've actually seen people having parsers that read CSV files. I've seen people, you know, having parsers that read text files. And, you know, so the way it actually works is uh, people go and edit those text files or CSVs manually. You know, they, they just go and, you know, get that information from somewhere. They go and write it down into these flat files with no validations, no nothing. And then they create a parser that isn't very intelligent. And they just pull the data, you know, from those files and push it to production, uh, you know, automatically. And, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. You know, you might be able to pull it off in a lab a few times, you know, when you're just doing, you know, the first let's say, experiments with a new technology. But, you know, if you're going to take this and, you know, bring it to the operations team and say, well, you know, here it is, start operating, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. Right, sure. And, and some some overlying metrics of success that, you know, that, that can mm-hmm. be measured. You know, speaking of SD-WAN, like um, we've seen some SD-WAN projects go, well, the technology was implemented, but it didn't actually mm-hmm. meet their actual business goal because they forgot about the other things that need to change too. And, and in yeah, these cases, yeah. they might, they might be DNS for instance. So, 
So SD-WAN is yeah. deployed because we're going to do direct internet access because we're going to consume Office 365. But the DNS path was still back through the data center in a different continent. And so at the end of the day, um, they were doing direct internet access, but they were accessing an application, you know, 2,500 kilometers away from the closest yeah. one they should have been accessing. And so they, but from their perspective, it was deployed successfully because everything was, was, you know, the, the, the SD-WAN routers weren't complaining about anything, you know, so it's, mm -hmm. it's, um, I, I think it's just an example of, you know, being able to, to measure what the goals are, as opposed to looking at the components of the solution. So, you know, one, one thing is to look at your processes, see how much manual work is being done, because, you know, particularly if you go to the networking realm, uh, you know, most of the things that are being done, they are still being done manually today. Oftentimes, you know, the, the best IPAM tool you have in the house is, you know, a network engineer. And, you know, you have these telltale, you know, signals about how, you know, how you can assess how traditional I am, you know. And, you know, more often than not, you know, things haven't really evolved that much since the late 90s. And, you know, if that's the present state of things, then surely there's, you know, something I need to do in order to get my house in order before I will be kind of able to, you know, kind of jump the automation ship and then, you know, do the things of the 21st century. Yeah. No, again, it, 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 uh, it, re it reminds me, you know, before, before uh, Blue Cat, I, I spent many years in uh, engineering management software and, and managing the mm -hmm. life cycle of engineering. Um, yeah. In fact, your former uh, employer Nokia was a was a big customer of mine for, for oh, many many okay. years. And and uh, um, and, but it it was these were changes that they were going through in the '90s, you know. And and mm. so it's 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 interesting um, that um, that that you know we're we're going down the same path here as well, mm. you know. And, and I think a lot of the indicators are the same, and the number of of you know, uh, uh, sticky pad, you know, street, you know, work stream mappings we would do back in the day to understand mm -hmm. where, where is the cost in this process and what's still being done yeah. manually and why is it still being done manually and what data do we need in order to get this stuff done manually? Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, um, and, 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 and what are the goals here? And, and so I, I think for sure there's, there's a bunch of that that's required without mm. at the same time, um, you know, uh, going back to something you said before, you know, locally optimizing something that on its own doesn't have any business value. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think there's also, you know, as far as network is, networking is concerned, you know, oftentimes people have been more focused on applications. And so then when you go and ask people, well, you know, how do you get IPs? You know, they say, well, I get those from my network team or, you know, I get those from my ISP or, you know, whoever it is, but, you know, people don't have to think, you know, they don't know actually what is going on on, on the networking side of things uh, because it's kind of, you know, it's pretty deep down there. Um, and, you know, one of the things, of course, is to, you know, if you're a C-level guy, it might be that, you know, you, you don't really get that much visibility into the day-to-day -day activities, you know, of your networking teams. Uh, but, you know, one suggestion is to, you know, go there, speak with the guys, you know, see what they are doing, because, you know, what you'll find is, you know, there's loads of manual work 
and you know lots of things that haven't really changed since the late 90s you know it's been the same for the last 20 years and so you know if the networks are the foundation of your operation then you know it kind of logically follows that in order to build on that foundation you need to make sure that you know whatever you have uh running as your operational backbone that you know the processes um you know are being done in a you know kind of standardized um, systematic way yeah for sure well fantastic it was uh super to talk to you i really enjoyed it yeah thanks Andrew. thank you for listening i'd love to know what you thought of this episode and i'm all ears if you have a guest recommendation you can tweet at network disrupted leave a review on spotify or apple podcasts or email me at andrew at network disrupted.com mm-hmm.